Hi everyone, this is Justin from the Amblers and you are listening to Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. episode i'm joined by justin from the amblers a fantastic rock duo from south africa i know you're going to love we chat all about their latest release shallow pools which they released on vinyl on the 30th of september we also chat about the history of the band including justin's musical experiences so without further ado let's get on with the show
Justin, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Good morning. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm very happy to be here. I'm delighted to have you here now. We opened the show with Sometimes. It's off your latest release, Shallow Pools, which you released the deluxe edition on vinyl on the 30th of September. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Yes, thanks. Well, look, we are super excited about the vinyl that's come out. Um, yeah, sometimes, um, like I suppose, a, a lot of a lot of other songs is it's a love song. <laughs> I know it doesn't doesn't maybe sound like a love song, but but I mean it definitely is. And and obviously, from my personal perspective, I mean we love people to kind of derive their own story from from anything that you know we create artistically. But um, what I what I, I am willing to say is that it is a love song, and it's a it's a tumultuous relationship between two individuals, and obviously it's the narrative of that story. I think you know what I love about uh, sometimes is obviously we we try we've got a very bare bones a, a approach to recording, and and obviously you know sometimes is everything in in that song is uh, a single take there are many of our tracks which are like that um, and that doesn't mean it's a live recording but every take so every instrument every vocal every guitar every drums they're all single takes so no nothing is a composite and the reason we did it like that was because i mean obviously even though we are laying and layering things on top of each other the fact that everything is a single take means that every single instrument is a captured moment in time that is unbroken from beginning to the end. So it's not five different drum takes that have been composited together or five different vocal takes that have been put together with all the best parts. What we did was we did the takes from beginning to end. And when we selected which takes we would use in order to build the song, we had to use a single take from beginning to end. We didn't have the option to chop it up. So we love setting those limitations for ourselves when we record. So that's a cool thing about, about sometimes is that every element of that song is a single take, a single moment in time from us as musicians, giving the best we could give in that moment, which makes it cool and unique. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Not many bands do that well if they do they don't they don't say it anyway it's an interesting way of doing it do you feel like you're putting more pressure on yourself though doing it that way i do i do and i think that especially when you when you get started i mean obviously there is no absolute pattern or formula that that ever happens even though you try and, and you know what i mean and and so sometimes the point i'm trying to make is sometimes you'll walk into a session and the first takes will be pretty shocking because you're nervous and you feel <laughs> that pressure uh, and then in, in other times, the best takes are the first takes. And the more you think about it, the worse the takes become. So you never know because, you know, sometimes, you know, just going there and smashing it. So it does depend. But sometimes we do feel the pressure. But I think you just have to deal. You just have to kind of deal with that. And also, I think that what alleviates that pressure a lot is preparation. So I think I think if you walk, if you walk into studio and you aren't prepared and it, you are thumb sucking it, sometimes you can come up with something incredible just like that, if you know what I mean, where you haven't prepared anything. So it depends on the situation. It also depends on, I suppose, where the person is at that day. But yeah, sometimes it, it is a bit of pressure, but you just deal with it and, and you take what you can from it. And we love that aspect of it. So we try and approach all of our recordings that way where, you know, we do try and set limitations and we want to work within those limitations as best as what we can and try and think out of the box. So it's almost like, I mean, sometimes you do your best work when, when, you, when you're placed inside a box 
because then you've got to think outside of the box in order to get those things. So we like those kinds of limitations on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you. And what was the, you know, the process like for creating the album from the start with coming up with the ideas, you know, what what was the idea behind the album? What did you want to say with it? Well, I think that one of the most overarching or general themes is one of like a, a journey, a, a travel. Uh, and that even is symbiotic with, with our band name as the Amblers, which are, are Wanderers, if you know what I mean. But obviously, I think that Wanderers oftentimes are are less aimless. They, they wander specifically, if that makes sense. I personally have never met someone who's who's not wandering by choice, if you know what I'm saying. So, you know, someone who ambles is, is ambling by choice and it actually is a focused thing rather than a reckless, uh, I'm just wandering from point A to B with absolutely no purpose. So although, you know, the songs themselves have different, um, I suppose, topics um, that we're trying to communicate different things, I think, you know, over the time that we wrote the album, we were both facing different things because obviously there are only two of us in the band. So it's just me as the guitarist and the vocalist and a drummer. Um, so we are a duo, um, which uncomplicates things, but can also complicate things. Uh, musically, we've got a lot of things that we need to consider. But I think that the overarching thing is definitely one of, of, of not pandering to anything specifically. So doing things the way that we want to do them, writing the songs the way that we want to write them, recording them the way that we want to record them. In terms of an overarching, I suppose, emotional message, I don't think, I don't think it has that, if you know what I mean. I think every song speaks for itself. I think we've tried to connect the music um, in terms from, from, you know, making it a kind of a cohesive body as work as best as what we could, if you know what I mean in terms of making an album that kind of has connection from one song to the other. And I do think we've achieved that, although, you know, it, it is to be said that each song stands can stand on its own as well and should stand on its own as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that more than that about it, I don't, I don't quite know what to say. <laughs> and with there being just two of you guys, how do you approach the songwriting? So that sometimes can be challenging. We do have a pattern that we we kind of try to follow in terms of, I suppose, a workflow approach. And what we often will do is we will write together and um, we'll put down what, whatever we can put down. And then the first thing we always track is the drums. Uh, we never commit to anything musically or sonically before we've done the drums. So the first thing we record on any of our songs is the drums. Um, and once we've got the drums down and we're happy with what we've got there, then we will go and we'll actually start to rewrite the music, I suppose. So we'll have a general idea for the song. We'll have the general structure of the song and we'll put down something with guitars and vocals so that we've got something to work to. But once we've got the drums down, we will then start to carve or sculpt that song because obviously, as you can imagine, with, with only two musicians – the space becomes quite important. So the place where there is no music and the heartbeat of, of the music becomes quite important because otherwise it just becomes, we, we've got to make sure that the space works because there's only two of us. Um, especially translating what we have as a recorded body of work into our live shows, we've got to make sure that 
you know, because it's easy to add a lot of bells and whistles in a recording session. I mean, the, there is no limit. But the thing is, then you need to translate that, you know, from a recording to a live performance. And obviously, we would, you know, our goal is to sound as close in our live performances as what we do in our recorded music. So the way that we achieve that is to make sure that the space in the, the space that we have in our songs or in our music is as musical as the music itself. So, and that's where the drums and the rhythm, you know, of our songs becomes such an integral aspect because we've got to make sure that it works. And if that works, you see, then we can use only one guitar and only one vocal. You know what I mean? Then it, it becomes a lot easier to take, you know, the core of what we are, which is two musicians together um, and, and create a, a musical, um, you know, delivery from, from what it is that we're trying to do. So, you know, that's kind of the skeleton of how we always start is we will go in with an idea that has pre-production on it, but mm. we'll go in the first thing we do properly is we'll do the drums we'll make sure that we're absolutely happy with that heartbeat and that skeleton and then we'll come and we'll start to say we like this we don't like that we think this should be like that it's too much there too little here whatever the case may be and then we'll start to really build um the nuances of the song around the drums and that's kind of how we approach i mean and obviously you know every song has its own life in terms of even that process but that's pretty much how we begin how we begin every every body of work every song that we start with yeah yeah it's an interesting way of doing it all right setting down the drums first and working your way around it but i suppose it as you said it lends a good backbone to it you know exactly what you're working with then sure i mean and obviously in that side i mean i do a lot of the writing in terms of the the music and the lyrics um and obviously jason who is our drummer jason hinch incredibly musical um individual i mean he his input is always incredibly valuable um in in that sense and i mean he's he's a trained musician whereas i am not um you know he's a trained musician so he comes with a lot of that technical background but i suppose you know for me as a guitarist if 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 i've you know sat in my quiet space or whatever you call it and put a riff down and and put some lyrics to that riff you know once you've got a, a proper drum beat um, behind that, you know, so many aspects of that riff could change to make space for those drums and to create a musical relationship between the two instruments. And often we have found that, you know, only once the drums have been locked in, can you start to play around and dance around those drums with the guitar to see what, what works best and, you know, what communicates what you're trying to communicate in the most effective way. And you released it on vinyl. I always feel like that's a major stepping stone for a band. Was that something you were working towards all the time? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, we are we are an independent uh, band, if you know what I mean. We do have a lot of a lot of label support, but we still we kind of call our own shots in that sense, which is really, really nice. Um, but obviously, you know, when you are when you're young and you're you're kind of working hard, I mean, at the end of the day, Everyone wants to be a world-class, world-renowned act. Um, and, you know, and I think that happens to so few people. Um, you know, I think the bands that we grow up with, you know, they are pretty much spectacular when you think about what they've achieved, yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. know what I mean. And, and so we almost set that spectacular as, as, as a baseline, that we are unsuccessful unless we do that, if you know what I mean. And so and I think that's why a lot of people sometimes give up. 
because you know that is quite a goal to achieve. But absolutely, I think for any band to be able to put out a vinyl, I mean, it's such a, it is an incredible milestone. And obviously, now that we've been able to do it once, we want to try and see if we can do it tw- twice. <laughs> so, but, so, and I think that's always the thing. But yes, I mean, it, it definitely is something that we had hoped to do that we were working towards. And luckily for us, you know, people have enjoyed what we've been able to produce enough to 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 back us. And I think that that is an incredible honor for us. And um, we're incredibly happy about um, having been successful enough to be able to to put out a vinyl. And now we'd like to try and do it again. <laughs> so you know, let's see if we can if we can pull it off twice. But absolutely, it's it was been a, it's been a massive milestone for us. You definitely got the vinyl bug. So I always feel like um, when a band puts something out on vinyl, it makes me actually want the record even more. You know, just that physical copy and the fact that it's vinyl. There's just something kind of cool about it. You know. And sacred about it, if you know exactly. what I mean. There's just yeah, there's just something sacred about it in the sense of, um, like you're saying, that um, tactile, tangible thing in your hands. And and it's not to say that a that a, you know a compact disc wasn't something tactile, but they, they, I mean, there's just an emotional difference between a vinyl and a CD. Um, you know, there's just something complete. It's just the way that it. And I suppose, obviously, I may. It might be that analog aspect. You know, that true analog aspect of a vinyl. Even though, you know, these days most vinyls are recorded in the digital realm. The fact that it it goes back from a a, a digital, um, you know, space back into an analog space, and then is almost mechanical in the way that it delivers that sound. There's just something incredibly special about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it might have something to do with, well, for me anyway, it's like when I put on a record by a band I really like, it's almost like I'm being transported back to the 70s, you know, when proper rock music was rock music, you know what I mean? And you're listening to it the same way that it would have been listened to back then. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, yeah, it's just the way that they captured music. And I mean, I mean, my my favorite kind of era of recording is definitely the 70s, um, you know, late 60s, you know, or mid 60s into like maybe the very late uh, 70s, early 80s at the most, you know, where I don't know, bands had to be good. You know, yeah. what you what you heard, what what you hear on that album is the sounds that they produced for the most part. And I think that there is a bit of you know, recording ability that has changed because, I mean, it, it, those kind of quality recordings come at exceptional difficulty and with exceptional skill, both of the, the engineers, so to speak, as well as the musicians. You know, today's recording environments are extremely forgiving in, in terms of that. And so you just have something that is incredibly um, unique um, and hard won. I mean, it just sounds incredible. I mean, there's just nothing that, can compare to um, just that sound of a vinyl. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And what has the reaction been like from fans? It's been good. I mean, um, obviously, we we do have kind of like a here at home. We do have a kind of diehard uh, following. You know what I mean? Which is really great. And the, the response has been good. I mean, obviously, you always have those those critics that you that you've got to deal with, and I think that comes. Um, it comes with the territory in terms of, you know, 
not everyone's always going to like what you do and they're not always going to feel the way that you feel about it. But I think that the overarching response, we've been, we've been uh, very grateful um, that the vast majority of people that have, you know, got their hands on the vinyl and have taken their hard-earned money and spent it on that vinyl, which we're incredibly grateful for, um, you know, has been, has been positive, you know. Um, and, you know, I think the greatest... The greatest achievement for me personally, if I if I think of it as a music lover and someone who whose you know greatest memories have been built up surrounding music, you know what I mean. I think that when I think of the most pivotal parts of my life, I can, can always connect it to some artist or some sound. You know what I mean. It's that kind of concept of you know you grow up with with TV shows that you kind of are a normal part of your life and you, you won't remember one of the episodes, but you can remember the theme song. <laughs> and and that's the that's the point that I'm trying to make is that somehow music definitely kind of it leaves an, a, a very distinct impression in in the history of our lives and the way that we perceive our memories. Well at least it's so for me. And I think that you know as a musician that is the greatest achievement I could ever want for anything I make is to form a part of someone's life in that way you know what i mean where yeah, they yeah. can connect some of their memories to some of our music that that is an incredible achievement um so we, we i mean i can't say for a fact that that has happened but obviously that is certainly a hope um you know but the the, the response has been good i mean uh, we've been happy with it thus far yeah, I, I love that you say that about the memories, though, because I'm always saying it like I'd said listeners are actually sick of hearing me saying it like all <laughs> throughout my life, like important memories are linked to songs, especially from the age of, say, 14 to 20. It's like sure. whether it was your first love or, you know, hanging out with friends in school or going to the beach in the summer. There's a distinct song that plays for each of them memories, you know? 100%. And and and, and it's incredibly powerful and it transports you right back there. Exactly. So, yeah, it gets you right back there. I mean, I, I find it to be an incredibly powerful neurological stimulus for my memories, if you know what I mean. And I think that most people... I mean, most people have got to see it. It's got to be the same for, it can't be just you and me, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And and I think that my experience is that most people experience the same thing. And that is why music is so exceptionally powerful, because it, it really just roots itself in the fabric of who we are in terms of our our kind of movements through our lives and our movements through time. I mean, it, it really is exceptionally powerful that way. And so, you know, the songs that meant the most to me at the times when I needed them the most, I can only ever hope the greatest achievement for any music I've ever made is that something I've done can do for someone else what some what other musicians of music has done for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously... That's kind of how I compartmentalize those different uh, categories or or stages of my life, as you've said, you know, from 14 years old to 20. I mean, it's exceptionally distinct. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, for me, from a musician's point of view, I feel like that would be, you know, the icing on the cake. That would beat yes. any other measure of success that you could have, because I feel like that goes beyond, you know, physical achievements and if you can do that to someone, it kind of, it touches your soul almost, you know? Absolutely. It's spiritual in a way, um, yeah. in that sense, you know, where, um, you know, it's, 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 it's intrinsic instead of extrinsic in terms exactly. of, you know, 
you know, because I think that there's always a huge, with anything artistic, there's always a huge battle for that. You know, we all start where our desire for what we're doing and the art that we're making and even the art that we're consuming or receiving in that sense is intrinsic. It creates an intrinsic response. And then we want to make music because it makes us exceptionally happy, if you know what I mean. And I think that as you then grow older and, you know, the, I suppose, reality aspects like the author responsibility adult aspects of those things start to weigh it then becomes a little bit more extrinsic where you're now competing for you know i've got to do this so that i can earn a living or i've got to do this so that you know what i mean those kinds of things and you know we lose that intrinsic value of what we're doing a little bit and i think that then once we've crossed that bit barrier and we get a little bit older the intrinsic value starts to matter again so, you know, and I think that's the battle with anything autistic is to try and keep it as intrinsic as possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll uh, we'll jump onto the history of the band for a bit now to give the listeners a, a sense of where you've come from. So you've been together for five years and you guys have been described as a power duo. But what led to the creation of the band? So obviously being being a South African band and, and being South Africans, obviously we've got an incredibly vibrant and passionate, you know, um, music community. Um, but I mean, obviously it is quite a small community, you know, in relation, I suppose, to a European, you know what I mean, or a yeah. state, United States. So, um, you know, we, we, Jason and I had both been in the music industry in our own rights in various avenues. But like I said earlier, Jason is um, – He's a trained classical jazz uh, drummer, an exceptionally talented individual, extremely musical. Um, I have been in the production side and the post-production side of of music um, from an incredibly young age. So, you know, those circles, you know, in our country, you just overlap, you know. So Jason and I had, we had met each other on numerous occasions, uh, playing with different bands over a few years. Um, and over over those interactions, we got to know each other, and then we kind of realized that you know there was a similar vein of something that we wanted to do, which kind of was common between us. In that, we we wanted to make music that we enjoyed making, and we wanted to make it without undue expectations of ourselves on ourselves to succeed. So, if that makes any sense. So, so what we did is, um, you know, we got an opportunity to go and record in in what in South Africa is the is is the South African Broadcasting Corporation which you know in 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 the very old days was kind of you know I suppose the uh, the golden standard you know but obviously now the studios are quite quite old they're used for teaching still very cool and very equipped but we got an opportunity to kind of go and hit those studios um and that's what we did in 2017. And, and you know, we had no expectations. We said we're going to go there. We're going to take these songs. We're going to do what we want with them. Um, we're not going to please anybody else. This isn't for anybody else. This is just for us. So we're not going to pander to anyone's desires or anyone's pressure. And we released an EP called The Dustling Man. And, you know, that was incredibly well received. Mm. Um, and it kind of started from there. And, you know, from there we just – kept going and kept going. We've just kept that kind of philosophy where, um, you know, we, we aren't here and we aren't doing what we're doing to kind of, to be anybody. If you know what I mean? We're really trying to experience each other. 
um, and enjoy each other in a musical kind of um, circumstance or scenario. And that's how we've approached everything. So, you know, we kind of met uh, on the road and we realized that we had um, we had a common vision as to, you know, what we wanted to do. We didn't want to add anything else to it. So obviously, no, we always get the, oh, but you need a bassist and you need <laughs> this. And, and, and you know what? Some people might be, but might be, might be right. The reality is that if we added a bassist, we wouldn't be the amblers anymore. And, and so, you know, we would have to change so much about the approach that we take if we added anything if, or permanently added anything. So, you know, it's not to say that we couldn't use bass in a track or in a live performance. And we, we often have done those kind of things. But, you know, we don't want to change the basic philosophy of how we're doing things. And, and that kind of has been translated in, into everything that we've done thus far. So, you know, obviously, that's kind of in a nutshell our history. I mean, obviously, a five-year history, although not nothing, isn't, isn't a 25-year history. So we're hoping to, you know, we're hoping we're hoping to just keep. We're hoping that the the approach that we've had thus far will continue to bear fruit, you know, and that people will continue to enjoy what we make, and therefore give us the ability to keep doing it, you know, which thus far has been the case, and we're very grateful for that. The way it's just the two of you guys. Do you feel like you're held back, or do you feel like because it's just the two, it's almost like you're set free? I think yes and no. I think that that is a paradoxical answer. I think that, and I think that both both the yes no answer is true. Um, I think that in certain ways, yes, we are held back because there's only two of us and there's only so much we can do. But I think that even in that limitation, between ourselves, it's our responsibility to, to really try our damnedest, if you know what I mean, to to come up with something unique, to come up with something. Um, fresh in terms of our own capabilities, not in not necessarily in terms of the world, if you know what I mean, and in terms of music being released in the world. I think that, you know, the reality is there's really nothing new under the sun ever. But I think that in, ter in terms of our relationship to each other, how we make music together, how we experience that process together, I think that we can always try and and and, and pursue something fresh and something new and something unique in that regard. And I think that that often translates. I think that, you know, people often describe that, that, um, that X factor in that sense as being raw or unique, you know what I mean? Or authentic. So that is kind of what we're chasing is that, you know, just to kind of keep doing something that is authentic and, you know, and you know what, it might not be authentic in the sense of it's, this is the first time it's ever been done ever in the world. The chances of that are, are probably very slim. But in terms of our relationship with each other and what we've been doing, it might be something incredibly fresh, incredibly new for us. And so it does carry a little bit of energy, which does then translate to the person that's watching it or the person that's listening to it. And, and so, you know, there does there is a connection there. You know, so in that sense, the, the limitations, if we treat those limitations with enough respect, we might we might come up with something incredibly awesome. And then, as you've stated, conversely, there are other areas where it is incredibly freeing for us. Um, I think on stage sometimes is that where the hardest challenges happen, if you know what I mean. Oh, really? I think so. I think that 
um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all have insecurities. And I think they're like, you know, you, you hit like an incredible festival lineup, um, you know, and I think when you're a duo, you always get comp- compared to the most incredible duos there's, they've ever been, if you know what I mean. So like, if you think of the white stripes, for example, being compared to the white stripes by somebody who's never heard you is a huge, you know, so you run in, you run into onto the bull of a band, you know, you're on the same bull of a band with a band that's, that's never, they don't know who you are. If you know what I mean, you meet them and you say, they ask you questions, which is just normal. And you say, Oh, we're a duo. And they say, Oh, like the white stripes. <laughs> um, well, Sure, there's two of us, <laughs> you know, that's, but that might be where the similarity ends. I think that, you know, and I think that's something that made the White Stripes incredibly, incredibly powerful is just that energy. You know, they created so much energy for two people. And I think that, you know, you know, when doubts, when doubt sets in, you know, you go on stage and you ask yourself that question, oh, you know, can we, can we produce enough energy? But I think that where you answer that question is in the relationship to each other. I think if you're trying to manufacture something, you're going to, you're going to fail. If you're trying to fake something, you're going to fail. But I think that, you know, where Jason and I have figured out we can, we can make it work is when we forget about what's happening around us and we connect to each other in a live environment. And then it becomes about us feeding off each other's energy. You know what I mean? And having a great time together instead of us trying to impress the other bands or the people in the crowd. If you know what I mean, because that's often when we when we feel le- least that we've achieved it. Oh, yeah. I suppose it makes sense, though, because, you know, once you're having a good time, that will transfer to the audience. Absolutely. And in order to do that, we've got to focus on each other, because if we're focusing only on the audience, you kind of and it's not to say that the audience shouldn't be focused on. I think that, you know, you have you've got to each each show, each opportunity has to be approached differently because it, it offers a, a different things, if you know what I mean. But I think that, you know, you've, you've just got to be able to make the right call in the, in the right moment. And, and that is not always, it's much easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. And I love hearing these stories now. So if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory? My earliest musical memory the one that's come up as you've asked me that question is, is um, in Michael. I was absolutely infatuated as a young boy with Michael Jackson really? and um, yeah, like crazy. Um, and I have a memory of like, uh, I remember when I was a young boy and, you know, like camcorders or, you know, VHS video recorders were all the rage, you know, it, it, you know, your, your family was a nobody unless you had, you, <laughs> you, know what I mean? yeah. you, you had a, a VHS tape recorder. And, and one of my great memories is, is me, is me with a hairbrush, you know, kind of miming beat it from Michael Jackson, which I love because obviously <laughs> that's got that lead from Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. And, and I wonder if it, I wonder if it was that, you know what I mean? That, that really drew me as a young boy to that song was the power of, of the guitars inside in, in, in beat it. And I absolutely loved that song. And obviously, you know, you've got to kind of get your dance chops going on and that kind of thing. But, you know, music, music played an incredibly important part of, of my life in that sense. And, um, yeah, I come from an incredibly musical family as well. So, you know, when you have when you have a, a people in your family who 
aren't necessarily professional musicians, but love to play music and play lots of instruments. You know, you kind of have music playing all of the time. And so, so much of your greatest memories are surrounding music. There's a song playing in the background all the time, you know, but my, the memory that came up when you asked that question was, was that, um, you know, that video recording that now has circulated and unfortunately for me, is being passed down from generation to generation <laughs> <laughs> of me miming miming to Michael Jackson. <laughs> Have you? Uh, is there any chance of it leaking onto your socials to let the fans see? <laughs> it's actually not a bad idea. Now that I think about it, uh, you know, maybe we should do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what kind of music were you exposed to from your peers when you were growing up and how do you think it has molded you into the musician you are today? It's a great question. Um, obviously I, I kind of went through my, my late teens in the nineties. Um, and I think that, you know, the nineties was also quite a unique musical, musical time. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, that was the grunge, you know, Metallica, you know what I mean? Metallica, yeah. Nirvana, REM, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Alice in Chains, you know, all of those. And that was definitely Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. So, you know, that was definitely a big part of, of, of our peer, you know what I mean? Our peer listening and, and that kind of thing. And, and obviously, you know, that was also possibly why I gravitated, I gravitated to guitar more than other instruments because I mean the guitar was definitely the hero of the 90s <laughs> throughout yeah. the 90s and I think that um, you know so much incredible guitar music came out in the 90s you know from Nirvana to Metallica um, you know album upon album upon album of exceptionally incredible guitar music if you know what I mean um, which wasn't as isolated as like Van Halen you know what I'm saying in the late yeah. 70s and 80s where Pink Floyd where you had great guitar music but it wasn't as well. I don't know. That's at least my perception of it. Because as a as a young man, um, you know, in my early twenties and stuff like that in the nineties, geez, um, there was just so much powerful guitar music in terms of like everybody was just so good at it. You know, so that was definitely that. Um, I also, you know, had a lot of. I suppose I've got a tendency for melancholic stuff. So I suppose that's where the grunge came in. So. A lot of Counting Crows on my side as well. Like Counting Crows was a big part of, of my musical taste. Ben Harper has always, I've always been a huge fan of Ben Harper. And so, yeah, but quite eclectic as well, though. So I love, I love a lot of blues rock, you know what I mean? And I think that, you know, you also get a lot of musical influence from your mother, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, because it's, you know, my father, my father was definitely, definitely a rocker in that sense, if you know what I mean. So, you know, the knack and the who and that kind of thing. And then, you know, you've got your mother on that side and it's like Whitney Houston, you know, <laughs> and those kind of things. So there was always like a, a very big, and obviously growing up in my family, my dad was an absolute vinyl junkie, if you know what I mean. And so, you know, most of the music that I grew up listening to was on vinyl. Um, you know, maybe right towards the end, the CDs started to come in because they were obviously just a, a lot cheaper eventually, if you know what I mean. But I mean, I think that the majority of the music that I enjoyed um, as a as a young man, I enjoyed on vinyl. Um, yeah, as far as like Billy Ocean, Whitney Houston, you know, those kind of really like when I was a kid, Michael Jackson, all on vinyl. So, um, you know, but such an eclectic 
mishmash. But I think that the the music that's definitely shaped me the most is definitely the grunge, the grunge era, the blues rock, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. And definitely other other forms of both folk music. So um, you know, Ben Harper, I love Appalachian, you know, old time country stuff, bluegrass things. So I've got a massively eclectic palette for for music. Yeah, yeah. You actually touched on something there. You made me think of something. I feel like it's always been in the back of my mind, but I've never actually realized that. It's like when it comes to your father, he kind of lays the foundation for you liking rock music. And then it's almost like, like you said, your mother opens you up to the softer side, maybe the the better songwriting. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and then you've got all of those more... um, uh, like you're saying, more emotional, more songwriting, more poetic, you know what I mean? And it's not to say that rock isn't poetic, but I mean, it's also got quite a driving thing. There's other elements, but absolutely, I mean, you know, there's definitely always musical inferences that come in from your mom as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And leading on, as a concert Gordon, what concerts do you think have made you? So, you know, obviously, I think that as a South African, unfortunately, I just don't think we, it's not to say we, we haven't had the opportunity for lots of incredible great live bands. I think some of the very big bands we've often got here, you know, U2, Michael Jackson, you know, those kind of things. But I mean, that absolute concert going culture and um, I suppose, what's the right word? The, the, I suppose the frequency of incredibly, you know what I mean? Talented, vibrant bands. Unfortunately, we've just not had the, the cream of the crop in terms of especially in your case like europe has you know what i'm saying where you don't have to travel far and you can just really get but i think that one of one of the one of the best um live shows i've personally been to and one that i enjoyed thoroughly was definitely counting crows i've seen counting crows live a few times and even though the music i make is so different i suppose to that droning you know what i mean counting crows but i think that as an as a songwriter and as a musician Adam Duritz, who is the, the lead singer and the writer of Counting Crows, I've always found the way that he writes and his his penchant for poetry and drama and like um, melancholy to be something that has always just gripped me um, and inspired me. I, you know, so and obviously, you know, being being a young man and so enthralled, you know, I got to kind of see Counting Crows play at the height of their fame in South Africa. And I mean, so, you know, just the energy of that show was absolutely incredible. Um, and they're coming to South Africa soon again. And I have wondered if I'm going to go and see them because I don't want to, I don't want to ruin <laughs> the memory. You know what I'm saying? I would, I would prefer to keep that experience that I had seeing Counting Crows that last time that I saw them be like at the top of that list for me, if you know what I mean. It was when he still had like really long dreadlocks and still that 90s, you know, army boots on stage you know now he's older and he dresses his hair's cut you understand what i mean so i, get I don't you. know I if get I'm, yeah so i might just leave <laughs> that memory as it is and not go to him. but um and then obviously you know some of my great great musical experiences are our local bands because obviously i've been able to see that more more than i've been able to see lots of big international bands and you know um and that's been great. I mean, you know, just connecting with the people next to you and the bands that are in your musical community. You know, we've got a lot of great bands in South Africa who really work really hard, you know. Um, so that's been great as well. I love that you mentioned uh, the South African 
bands and the music community because I have the perfect question for you. What do you think sets South African bands aside from the rest of the world? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think their tenacity. Um, you know, obviously, I can only compare the South African um, music industry and, and, and the bands to, um, to our community, if you know what I mean, in terms of facing its own challenges. But, I mean, making, making a living in South Africa out of, out of music exclusively, I'm quite sure that it's difficult everywhere in the world, but sometimes it feels extremely difficult in South Africa because the community, the community is always growing, and I feel that there is always growth there. But it's a small community, and in and in order to kind of pursue that dream, you know, these South African bands they work incredibly hard against incredibly difficult odds, and I know that that's probably true for most musicians anywhere in the world, if you know what I mean. Especially when you're chasing your dreams, and and you know, most of the answers you get are most often a no. They very seldom are a yes, if you know what I mean. And that's yeah. where I count myself very lucky because I have managed to get a couple of yeses, if you know what I mean. Mm. And so, you know, that's the thing that stands out for me the most about our South African musical culture is you just got these guys that just don't give up. You know, they play shows to, you know, they go from one one weekend to playing to five people to the next weekend to playing to 500 people, if you know what I mean. But they do it with the same power, the same passion. And that takes a lot of that takes a lot of tenacity. That takes a lot of resilience, you know, um, to just keep going. To say, you know what, I, l- I love this community. I love what I'm doing. I love making this art. It makes my life worth worth living in that sense, if you know what I mean. Like this is worth doing for me, and so I'm not going to give up doing it, whether there's five people in the crowd or whether there's five thousand people in the crowd. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm just going to keep going, and that's the thing that. I think sets for me sets our live bands apart from larger music communities. However, I'm not taking away from any musician anywhere in the world that has to work really hard to follow their dreams and get to where they want to be, because I think that's true no matter where you are. Mm, yeah, yeah. I feel like, well, first of all, I feel like South Africa, personally, as an outsider, it almost reminds me of like the LA scene of the eighties or the Seattle scene of the nineties. You know, there's so many great bands, you know, it's actually that way that it's hard to find a bad band. If you know what I mean, you know, but I feel like you guys have an extra level of hunger that you don't see in bands in other, in other places. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think that, and I absolutely agree that the quality of music that's coming out of South Africa is just so good. Mm. Um, and I think that our communities, uh, you know, and our professionals, or in terms of those committed people from, you know, the grassroots, uh, you know, musicians to the production houses, to the studios, you know, that kind of thing. Everyone's worked really hard to produce a level of, of, of quality that is actually quite consistent across the board, if, like you're saying, if you know what I mean, which is why, you know, if there are guys out there that are making it and people are going to their shows, there is quite a, there's a good standard across the board and a consistency of that standard. But yeah, you know, that hunger that you're talking about, most days it's actually, it's actually driven by hunger. <laughs> so, you know, guys work really, really hard to, to kind of, do it and 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 you know against those odds, but but you know that's a massive compliment that you know 
for us that that someone from the outside would would kind of um, equate our our little music scene to those those eras of incredible creativity like in LA mm. like in Seattle you know because those are musical movements that literally changed the world you yeah. know what I, yeah. you know you know what i mean um and changed popular culture um so absolutely that's a massive compliment thank you no worries no worries it's uh it's true anyway i love diving into south african bands and finding and discovering new ones and i know the listeners are the same and for any of the listeners that haven't seen you guys live, what gigs do you think have made you guys? I think that our smaller shows, I mean, obviously, you know, every band loves to play the big shows, if you know what I mean, where yeah. there are thousands and thousands of people. But I think that if you had to speak to to someone who is a, um, let's say, like a, a diehard fan of the Amblers, I don't think that you would hear any of them say that their greatest interactions with us as musicians have been in those big shows, that they've been in the more intimate shows, you know, the shows where there are only 50 or 60 people and the band can in, can interact with almost every single person, if you know what I mean. And I think those are our make or break shows. Uh, I think that those have been the standouts uh, for us as a band, um, as opposed to, you know what I'm saying, the numerical success mm, yeah. performances, if you know what I mean. I think that um, – and so I, I, I cannot uh, think of an actual show, an actual um, – and we've had a lot of great ones, don't get me wrong, you know, where we've had big shows. But I think the shows where I connect and have connected personally to what I'm doing musically the most uh, intensely has been in, in small shows, you know what I mean? intimate shows where um the sound isn't that great but the people are loving it you know what i mean and yeah, it's almost yeah. like jamming in your garage with your friends you know <laughs> um, and those have definitely been um the kinds of shows that have fueled who the amblers are more than commercially successful shows for example um and, you know, and unfortunately, those shows, to be honest with you, they are few and far between because, you know, venues and even if you look at like just the COVID realities, I'm quite sure that it's true for lots of places. But in South Africa, some of our greatest venues didn't survive. It didn't survive. The lockdowns didn't survive. And, you know, the lack of feet and that kind of thing. And that's quite sad because what happens and yes, it does make it does always make space for new vibrant, vibrant endeavors. And that's always going to be true because people are resilient. But what it does is it does create only a festival going kind of um, market in a way, if you know what I'm saying, because only those become commercially successful because you can get enough feet and enough numbers and enough vendors and those kind of things. So, you know, hopefully our, our musical culture will, will kind of that, that, small venue culture where you can literally tour the country that you're in and uh, and not play only festivals if you know what i mean will continue because those are the greatest shows for us and what do you think goes into putting on you know a, a successful stage show what do you think you know from keeping the audience engaged to just being on point musically yeah so i think for me and for or the way that we approach that as the amblers is for us, the biggest thing is preparation. So 
you know, we, we feel that in order to give the best performance to anybody, we've got to be well prepared. Um, and the reason that is in, incredibly important for us is when you don't, when you've done something so many times that you don't have to think about doing it, we don't find that it becomes stale because you've repeated it. We find that it becomes incredibly creative because you're no longer thinking about it. So you're not worrying. If you know what I mean, do I come in here? Do I go out there? What is Jason going to do? Jason's not wondering what I'm going to do. Because we have rehearsed this so much, we are so comfortable um, playing around with it, so to speak, if you know what I mean. It's the same way that you know you first learn to ride the bicycle and then you have that concept of like, oh, it's like riding a bicycle. I never <laughs> have to learn this again, if you know what I mean. But yeah. that's when you can start to learn tricks. You can start to play around. You can start to be comfortable and creative and do things that were unplanned and improvised. So we find with the two of us, I cannot speak for whether the dynamic would be the same in a larger van. And I'm sure, I'm sure that it would though. But for us as a duo, the more prepared we are, the more we can improvise what we're doing, which means that it, it almost once again becomes a, quite a paradoxical thing because it's almost like you have to practice so that you can do something you didn't practice. <laughs> so, but we do, we do find that that is incredibly true for us, that the better prepared we are, the more we can improvise. And the more we can improvise, the more we can react to what is happening in the crowd. So we can almost deliver a performance that was never seen before and may never be seen again <laughs> because it only happened this one time at that place in this way. So that's kind of what we are aiming for. And luckily, because there's only two of us, that's actually a realistic expectation for us. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with the way there's just the two of you, is there a, a specific pre-show and post-show ritual you guys have? Not, not that I can think of, not specifically. Um, we, we do like to kind of spend some time together, you know, obviously before the show. We hate being too rushed where, like, you know, you're kind of coming in from backstage, you've hardly said hello and you're on stage, you know what I mean? So we do like to kind of, um, you know, connect with each other just on a personal level, but we don't have any crazy, you know what I'm saying? You've got to wear like the same pair of socks or the same pair of jobs, you know what I mean? We don't have <laughs> yeah. any like crazy superstitious um, kind of stuff. I think that what we really feed off with each other is just our connection to each other. Um, to make sure that we understand each other, we understand where we are at, if you know what I mean. And that's quite a personal, you know, it's never the same thing, but it but it is important for us to be connected to one another. But we don't have any we don't have any quirky um um like pre or post show rituals. Right, right. Which is strange. It makes me feel like uh like we're boring. I've actually never <laughs> considered it. I mean, that's an incredibly great question. But no, through the years of what we've done, it's, it's something like that has actually never arisen. Right, right. You might have to come up with some sort of weird, yeah. wacky thing just to <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> sure, yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, in 30 years' time, you know, say you're near the end of your career and you look back, what needs to have happened for you to feel happy and fulfilled with your career? I think for me, one of the most important things would be that we never sold out in the sense that we we always remained in charge or true of what we wanted to do. So in and and whether that be in terms of 
other creative people saying you've got to pursue this or professional people in terms of label people or marketing people saying you've got to do this. Now, I'm not saying that uh, we, we don't want to take good advice. I think that good advice is good because it leads you in a direction that you weren't going to go in. That's what makes it good. If you know what I mean, is I was going to go left and someone gave me some advice to go right and I went right. That's what made it good. If you know what I mean, is that I actually took it. But I think that for us, we have just seen in so many areas that when you start to pander to uh, markets and money and only making money, you start to make um, decisions that are actually quite detrimental to your own creativity as well as to the creative value of what you were doing. Um, and I think that as people support you more and as people put money behind your endeavors, they want their pound of flesh, if that makes sense. They want a return on their investment. And I think that oftentimes that return of investment comes in terms of you're going to do what I say, if you know what I mean. So we need to make a profit on this. For example, we are your label or we are your benefactors and we need to make a profit. And because we're going to make a profit, your next album, obviously I'm being ridiculous here, but your next <laughs> album is going to be a pop album. Do you understand? So, yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So then, you know, and I'm not, I don't have anything against pop, but we aren't pop. So I think that that would be the most important thing for us is to be able to look back and say there was no moment where we did what we didn't want to do and are looking back now in regret and saying we shouldn't have done that, if you mm. know what I mean. And we did it because we, we, um, we bowed to the pressure of someone else um and now we're looking at what we did and we realized that that wasn't who we were and that wasn't what we wanted to do and we wish we hadn't done it so i think that 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 would be something that i would like to look back on in 30 years time as you say and be able to say that i have as minimal of those as possible because look everyone makes mistakes and it's probably very arrogant. It would be very arrogant for me to say, I want to look back and say I made no mistakes. If you know what I mean, I don't think that that's realistic. But I would like to look back and say, you know, we did the best we could and we, we, we only made the mistakes that, that, that set us apart or helped us grow, um, you know what I mean, or developed yeah. us as artists and as a band. Those mistakes are worthy to have. I just don't want to look back and say, yes, we really, really, really shouldn't have done that. Mm. I love that answer, though, because it shows your integrity and your dedication to the band, you know? Sure. Thank you very much. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, we really value what we do um, and we value the way that we do it. Um, you know, we we have both, um, Jason and I, we've both been in, in, in lots of other musical endeavors and we've both experienced lots of different failures in the music industry. We've not always been successful and we've not always had um, success in the things that we have tried to achieve. And with the Amblers, it was cr it's a crazy thing that sometimes, you know, you try and do everything the right way and trying to do it the right way or the way that everyone says you should do it. As the Amblers, we had zero success. When, when, we, when we finally got fed up and said, look, we're tired and we're just going to do this our way and we don't care what anyone thinks, then we started to have <laughs> success and people then started to pay attention. And, and it's that crazy thing. And, you know, if only we, we had realized that sooner, um, that sometimes, you know, you've got to literally not take the advice of everyone and just do it the way that you want to do it. There are a lot of people who appreciate that and artistically that translates to something that people can connect to.
Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right there. And before we move on to the last couple of questions now, what are your future plans? Well, I think for us right now, I mean, I was unfortunately um, in an accident uh, in the beginning of the year where I broke my leg mm-hmm. and um, I broke my leg quite, quite severely. I needed to have two surgeries and obviously that, and then I needed to recover. I have recovered fully, so there have been no complications there, but obviously that did kind of get in our way in terms of live shows, um, you know, uh, in 2022. Um so I think that, you know, our our focus, you know, now for 2023 is really just to get back on the road, to connect in a live environment with our fans. Um, obviously, we, we have been, we have used the opportunity to be working on a lot of new music. So we've been writing a lot um, and we've been recording a lot and that kind of thing. So, you know, we definitely want to put out as much new music as possible in 2023 as we can. But I think on a practical side, we just want to get out there again, just connect with our fans. You know, at the end of the day, there is a reality. We have been grateful in that, you know, over the time of, of my recovery and stuff, being able to put out an album on vinyl and stuff. So we have kind of remained, um, I suppose, in the public eye in that sense, in terms of having having new material and having something to engage with fans and the public with. But I do think that, you know, it is important to be constantly engaging with with the public, um, yeah, you know, yeah. and and you know, and in new and in fresh ways. So, you know, for any band, that is important. Is you know, just to keep doing things that keeps you in the front of people's minds. Um, so, you know, that's kind of our, our plan for let's say twenty twenty three is just to really get on the road again, play as many live shows as possible, um, and to see how it goes. Because obviously, that was really a, a difficulty and a challenge for us in twenty twenty two. Geez, I'd say the fans are going to be delighted to hear that. I really hope so. I, I just hope they're not going to be like the, the who, the Amblers, <laughs> <laughs> because you know people forget very quickly who you are and you know that kind of thing. But anyway, let's see how it goes. Exactly, exactly. Now the last couple of questions. Everyone gets these, I'm afraid, so you can't get off the podcast till you answer. No problem. If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Jimi Hendrix. Oh, I was thinking you would have said Michael Jackson now. No, Jimi Hendrix, 100%. You know, if I think about, I mean, Michael Jackson, really great, was a big fan as, as a kid, but I think musically, musically, Jimi Hendrix blows my mind. Like what, what he was able and what he, you know, even today, maybe Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan gets close, you know what I'm saying, to that feel, um, especially if you think of Little Wing, you know, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's cover of Little Wing, which, which is is maybe it's not it's not Jimmy, but it's as good if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. But I think like as 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 someone who um, just what he was able to do with that instrument, I don't even know if he knows what he did. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, obviously his life was quite short, and I'm quite sure that in his lifetime, I just don't think he would ever have realized the impact that he would have on music as a whole. I mean, what that man could do with the guitar just naturally without knowing it is just unbelievable. So I would definitely have loved to be in the front row, you know what I'm saying, mm. uh, with old Jimmy. That would that would be epic. Yeah. The thing that always blows my mind is, you know, his career was only – well, he was in the public eye for only a couple of years and he left this massive legacy. Legacy, Like Absolutely. 50 years later, he's still been talked about. Well, 50 years later, we're still trying to figure out how to sound like him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, 
And we understand the theory. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We understand the theory of what he's doing, but no one sounds like him. Only he can do what he was doing. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be? Jack White, 100%. Right. I like the quickness of the response. You've obviously thought about that before. Well, I mean, at the, you absolutely. You know, I, you know, if I was going to spend 24 hours asking someone questions and being able to pick their brain, um, just about, I'm a massive Jack White fan. I, I feel like he's definitely the Willy Wonka of 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 music in in that yeah. sense. You know, my kind of music, and I love his approach to music. I love um, that bare bones, very raw. Um, you know nuts and bolts kind of approach i mean I, I would love to ask him i've got so many things you know what i mean um that i don't even really know the questions to if you know what i'm <laughs> saying it's like where do you begin where do you literally begin but jack white definitely yeah yeah i feel like he's like this sort of genius level musician now and in years to come he's definitely going to be remembered up there with hendrix you know and the beatles and all them guys absolutely um, I would agree with you that for me, Jack White is absolutely a genius. Um, and again, it's it's the you know you, you just have them. They're those you know once in a generation, once in a lifetime guy. You know that that I don't think anyone else is able to do what he does. If you know what I mean, his phrasing and the way that he sees music, it's very peculiar. He's a very peculiar individual. Um, and. You know, I think it's that peculiarity that that also just lends to what he's doing. I mean, the way that he phrases things, he can be mimicked. You see, that's the thing is you can you can, you can mimic him and you can look at him, you can study him, but you're never going to do what he does. You might have elements of it, and and someone might be able to say, "Oh, that was a Jack White esque," if you know what I mean. But he he, he definitely is um, genius level in the way that he does, and he's definitely going to go down. Uh, like that, especially in the guitar, the guitar community. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And the final one, what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Wow. That's a big ask. That, <laughs> yeah. that, needs, to be a, that needs to be a big song. <laughs> I think at this moment in my life, like today, because I'm sure in 10 years' time, it might be different. But I think I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Icky Thump by the White Stripes. I think if if I wanted to, and and for no other reason than just the way that that song makes me feel, which is is I, I don't even know if I'd be able to describe that to you, if you know what I mean. But yeah, you yeah. know, if I, I if if I was gonna go out or people were gonna walk in like or maybe walk out of my funeral like the song playing while people are walking out of my funeral and they've said goodbye today it's gonna be Ikita. <laughs> perfect choice so perfect choice listen Justin it's been an absolute pleasure now I've really enjoyed chatting with you for the last hour Brian thank you so much the honor has been all mine you know we really appreciate anyone who's willing to talk to us you know, about our music, that is always an honor and a privilege. You know, it always blows us away when anyone is interested to talk to, to talk to us about what we do, if you know what I mean. So the honor is all mine. Thank you so, so much.
never met a man that did say enjoyed this episode if you did please rate and review us on itunes and spotify and if you're interested in signing up the band builder academy use the link in the show notes below and enter the code concerts and you'll receive 10 percent off so until next time keep rocking
Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.